Hey guys, just wanted to give an upfront content warning this week. The first episode we cover this week touches on the topic of animal death, and there will be a timestamp in the episode description if you feel that is a topic you need to avoid. Along with that, I'd like to go ahead and announce that Sam and I recorded a bonus episode covering Burn the Witch, and that should be going up tomorrow. That's it. Hope you enjoy the episode. <laughs> I have so I'm not at this time, but I have a distressing amount of people in my orbit who are currently. Mm-hmm. So I might end up watching it like because of that. Are you okay with me doing like minor like minor spoilers like pitch stuff? Sure. Okay, are you okay with that too, Lynn? All right. Uh, so, I have been watching a lot of The Haunting of Bly Manor this week. Uh, it just came out on, like, Friday, uh, and we've already watched, like, six of the nine episodes. Uh, also, nice. Um, but, I, I just gotta look. Um, this show, okay, so, for in either of you, you might not know, uh, it's technically speaking, like, a sequel series to The Haunting of Hill House which came out, like, was it last year? The year before that? Um, it, it was a Netflix original series um, that was set around, you know, a family and their conflict uh, and the grief that comes with loss. Uh, this series, um, what has very much impressed me about it, uh, whereas Haunting of Hill House was a show about a family being absolutely awful to each other, like, at all times, like, it was about a blood family that just absolutely despises each of its other members, and it's a very hard show to watch because of that sometimes, because it's just constant tension building on tension. Uh, what's made The Haunting of Blind Manor so interesting to me um, is basically the pitch of the show is you've got an American nanny uh, who is... Uh, abroad in London 
for whatever reason. You're not told at the beginning of the show. Um, and she is applying for a job uh, as an au pair, um, as a live-in nanny and tutor for two children who live in Bly Manor and who have lost their parents. And what's very interesting to me about this premise is rather than it focusing on uh, just this blood family, like, hating each other, and don't get me wrong, there's still some of that with the blood family they have, it's a lot more about this found family of different staff members of this manor, like, just being genuinely good people to each other, and it's such a weird tonal shift from uh what i expected it to be uh it's been a lot less scary than the haunting of hills but i haven't i haven't missed the horror because it's been like it's been very eerie and i've genuinely cared about all of these characters like i i don't want bad things to happen to them uh there are characters in this show which it's like you could stick these two people in a room and have them talk about anything and i'd be here for it and it's very hard to find that chemistry. Neat. That does sound pretty cool. It's very good. D- uh, would you say that one can jump into a Bly House with no knowledge with... of Hill House? Absolutely. It's completely separate. It has some of the same actors, um, but they play different characters. Uh, oh. And it's, it's completely separate. Uh, you, uh, in that uh, case, I might give it a try. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it so far. I can't speak to how it ends. I'm only two-thirds of the way through. I have really liked it so far. Um, I've also been really happy because one of my main complaints with the original show, Haunting of Hill House, was that there weren't a lot of people of color on that show. And like a good chunk of the main cast in this one are people of color, and I was really happy to see that. What have you guys been up to this week? Uh, food warning. I have been doing just food. Just making just so much food. Just all of the food. I think I recall, like, texting you earlier this week when I was up at, like, 9am after not sleeping. Uh, because I was like, I might play Hollow Knight, and you're like, I'm going to make food. And I'm like, alright. Yeah, and then, (laughs) last night, like, like, this week has basically been a non-stop parade of um, ridiculous antics of food, like just one food disaster after another. But I finished, and I ended up with like my my multi course Thanksgiving meal that I wanted to make. So I ha- I I managed to finish it all up before midnight last night, which was the the time that I had set for myself. It was at like eleven forty five, but it was supposed to be done by four. That looks super good, though. Oh my god. Uh, Don't make me hungry, like, on the recording, Sam. I I will actually get very sad. I'm just surprised you're not hungry, considering, like, you just woke up. I I mean, I don't usually eat breakfast, to be clear. Fair. Uh, But it's no longer breakfast time. It's noon. It is noon. Uh, I actually have been up for two hours, too, so I don't know. I guess it is a little surprising that I haven't... I I think it's very weird that I woke up this early, uh, considering I was drinking last night and was up until, like, 5 a.m. 
we do appear to have lost Lynn. Rest in peace, Lynn. Oh, Lynn, are you Lynn good? I'm sorry, did you say something, Nova? This is true. I, I was. I asked you if you wanted anything. I'm talking about for me. I'm talking about for you. Well, okay. Jeez. <laughs> is that a cheesecake? That is, in fact, a cheesecake. Yes, yes. Lynn. It is, in fact, a vanilla-flavored cheesecake with cranberry sauce on top. Can I have some? I just just come get it. One. I have extra. All right. Well, um... Alright, well, I'm sorry to tell everybody Yay. that the Bleach podcast has been delayed because I need to fly over to Canada and pick up some of this excellent-looking cheesecake. Do you have an idea how much turkey I had? It was a 10-pound <laughs> turkey. Come pick me up, too. <laughs> I will, Lynn. Don't worry. It's going to be a, a union for the ages. Okay, so I guess we should probably like talk somewhat about Bleach, right? Like That is what this podcast is, yeah? Ostensibly. That is what it is. <laughs> um, so... MMM. Full disclosure for everybody, um, I, I already discussed this with my hosts just before we started recording the episode. Uh, I have kind of fallen off baseball, so we may no longer, like, do weekly baseball stuff. Uh, we're probably gonna do it this week was what I gathered. Are we, are we doing baseball this week, or am I just, like, lying to everybody, including myself? Uh, well, other than recapping, like, the strange and wonderful events of last night, I don't think there's much to discuss about Blazeball this week. There's nothing, like, particularly spicy as far as the blessings go. Yeah, there was, like, a JRPG boss battle last night with with the peanut god. <laughs> yeah, so... The, the Boss peanut battle. The peanut... Sh so, the Charleston Shoe Thieves won, uh, preventing ascension. And then, as the winners, they had the, uh, because the Peanut had warned the community uh, previous, I, I forget if it was last week or previously during the week, that uh, Strike 4 had been gotten and it was on the way. So, last night it showed up, <laughs> and the Charleston Shoe Thieves, as the season winners, faced off against the Peanut in an epic uh, game of baseball with some ridiculously one-sided HP val uh, HP bars and it just became like a huge but it became a JRPG boss battle uh, but very quickly it was evident that uh, well one the peanuts team which was entirely comprised of all the players who had been shelled or had peanut in their name uh, was were, one they were holding back and two they were still way too strong so they beat the Charleston Shoe Thieves and then the peanut said you suck, but here, why don't I give you two-thirds of my health and see if you can try again? And then they stopped holding back, and they still beat the Charleston Shoot Thieves. Uh, and then they left. <laughs> and then the that's, monitor that's showed up and said... <laughs> the monitor showed up and it was like, Oh, hey guys. Why didn't you call for me? You should have told me. Bye. <laughs> and, then okay. he, and then they also left. <laughs> Baseball is truly incredible. Uh, despite me falling off, I hope it continues to thrive. I, I love it. Uh, maybe someday I will be back in, in that beautiful, beautiful world, and I will continue to check in weekly uh, to make sure that nobody's ascended. And I also will continue to check in to make sure the commissioner is continually doing a great job. I regret to inform you, Lynn, that no, the peanut aristocracy has not been demolished. I still have 500,000 peanuts. 
Although I was worried that they would all disappear when the peanut was clamoring this for its pods. This is bullshit. It, it was clamoring for its pods to join in. And I was in chat going, no, my peanuts! <laughs> I, I have 10,000 peanuts. Almost 11,000 peanuts. But I know that's nothing in comparison to your your pod, your podcast peanut horde. <laughs> Not you too, Lily. Here, I well, mean, I, I have... I have 44k. I can buy more peanuts. I, I'm not using it for anything else. I mean, let me buy some more peanuts. Yeah, I mean, all the moist talkers were gifted 10,000 peanuts today. Jesus. It's just peanuts all around. Let me, let me just, let me just buy. I am the only peanut peasant now. I'm buying a bunch of peanuts. Hold on. Let me just. This is a good podcast. Both idea. of you watch your stocks. All right, I now have <laughs> fifty-five thousand peanuts. I I have just Fuck. I have just realized upon us hitting the twenty-minute mark on this recording, or at least me hitting the twenty-minute mark on this recording, uh, that we have not introduced ourselves in this our podcast. We haven't done the intro. <laughs> We haven't really started podcasting yet, so... We've been yeah. talking about random shit. This is the podcast. This is what we do. We talk about dumb shit for 20 minutes, and then we talk about Bleach for ostensibly an hour and a half. Yeah, but we, we like we do the introduction after we say, Hey, this is It'll Wash Out, a Bleach Rewatch podcast. I'm your co-host, Lily. <laughs> and I'm your co-host, Sam beautiful segue thank you and i'm your co-host shade lynn i love co-host co-host is very good that's that's a it's, good word it sounds hostile i it does sound a bit hostile i we're still on brian right brian is still this voice yeah i think it's lynn <laughs> mad that we're not we're not what uh, lynn considers peanut co-host your peanut 12 <laughs> yep there it is there it is. <laughs> but let God. us move on from peanuts and towards bleach. Let's get yeah, it, let's get this started because I should so, Well, so the thing is I have a thing where I tell my mother every Sunday, "Hey, I will be like no contact. I will be completely like not looking at notifications. You will not be able to get a hold of me and I will be unavailable for these periods of times on Sunday." And I tell her this every Sunday, because every Sunday morning, she asks if we can Skype. And there are other days during the week that we could Skype. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, hey, why don't we Skype on other days of the week? And then she responds, yeah, that would be a great idea. And then neither of us do. And then on Sunday morning, <laughs> like clockwork, hey, could we Skype at around X time? And I'm like, no, because that's the time that I'm podcasting. <laughs> God, I'm thankful that I do not have to Skype with my with my mother uh, weekly on Sundays, though I would not mind more contact with my mother occasionally. <laughs> God. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's subtly, Lynn. Like, that's not subtly trying to stop the Bleach podcast. Does your mom know the dangers of Bleach, Sam? <laughs> no. I doubt, I doubt my mother understands... Like, I've tried to explain it a few times, but my mother does not understand the concept of the podcast, which is fine. I don't think it's I just, don't think mine does either. God. So 
before we get started on episode 33 of the show, um, I feel like I should give a quick content warning for animal death. It's not, like, super explicit that you touched on. Like, it's not, like, it's not, like, grotesque, I would say. It's very, very brief, but I, I want to mention it up front because, like, I know there are people who have trouble dealing with that topic. Uh, it, it's, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. It's at the very end of the episode. Not, I'll go ahead and, like, telegraph when I, I mean, like, it's barely going to be touched on. It's, like, a cutaway shot. Like, you don't see anything happen. But, uh, I wanted to go ahead and give that content warning. Um, should I just jump right into the summary? Just jump right in. Bleach episode 33. Miracle. The mysterious new hero. There's a crop circle in Karakura Town, and Karin de- Wow, I'm already fucking that up. Alright. There's a crop circle in Karakura Town, and Karin declares it to be pointless as her sister Yuzu chases in protest. Apparently, there have been several incidents like this, with people seeing uf- UFOs and poltergeists. Wow, I really was uh, coming down from being drunk when I wrote this, huh? <laughs> because uh, there are a lot of typos. <laughs> I was It was like 5am when I finished this. Um, Karin concludes it to be them as she watches some hollows fly around. She sees a twinkle in the sky and suddenly a cat lands on Yuzu's face and the cat is just declared... The, the, both sisters are just like, that's Ichigo. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's like they look at it and they're like, yes, this is Ichigo. But like, the cat doesn't really look like Ichigo all that much. They're just like, no, no, this grumpy vibe, 100% our brother. Yeah, no, like, it doesn't look like Ichigo at all, but they really- ITS Orange Sam. <laughs> it is orange! It is- I mean, it's more like beige. It's a beige cat. <laughs> it, we'll get to the camel color. Semantics. <laughs> Yuzu says she feels like she's seen it somewhere before, and says, It's hungry. Women's intuition. I know this. Don't worry about it. And the two, like, run off and decide to buy cat food as two hollows, like, ominously show up behind them. Uh, we cut to Urahara's shop, and Jinto's wait, wait, making Wait, 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 a- wait. You are skipping the one hilarious bit of this scene. I'm, I'm so sorry. What is it? What is the hilarious is, bit I skipped? Two hollows attack the girls, and Karen goes, Oh, sweet, I'm being attacked by hollows, and chases them away by kicking her soccer ball at them. <laughs> And I knocks them out that. of the sky. <laughs> That's very good. At this point, she doesn't even know what hollows are. She's just like, ah, oh, no, she's, them. she's just like, oh, it's those weird, like, creature things that have been flying around. <laughs> and she's like, but I do know I could beat the shit out of them by kicking my soccer ball at them. If if Karin had a Zompak toe, I would just want it to be, like, a weighted soccer ball. Like, something a la, like, Steel Ball Run from JoJo. Like, I would love that. Uh, <laughs> Yuzu says, uh, oh wait, I already did that. Uh, we cut to Urahara shop, and Jinta is making a dumb pose with his butt, uh, with exposition about basically nothing, as he and Ururu fend off a couple more hollows. Uh, Urahara complains about not getting enough exercise, and... Tessai, like, shows off a weight loss remedy? Um, there's not really... Was there any jokes here? Was there a joke here? I mean, the joke is, 
Tessai likes weight loss shit, I guess, and also he pours, like, hundreds of pills into his hand and starts munching on them, and then I think there's a poop joke? Where it, they imply that eating hundreds of pills, of weight loss pills at once will probably, like, make you go to the bathroom. That and, like, that's, sound that's great. the joke. <laughs> that that's doesn't really joke. sound like a joke. It... it... <laughs> Just, just move on. Just move on. <laughs> it was there was just so much exposition in this part that meant fucking nothing. And like to be clear, this is a filler episode. Like I, I we should have said that up top. This is a filler episode. This is not in the manga. Like not like this at least. But like no, no, this is canon. <laughs> a lot, uh, a lot of similar elements to this episode showed up. Not. In the manga proper, but in, like, the little corner pages you get, like, the one-panel corner of a page thing that ha- that exists at the end of chapters, and those are canon. So, this is more or less canon, but it is definitely a filler episode. <laughs> That's fair. Um... Karen hits hollows with a soccer ball. She's a soul reaper, but better cause she just has a fucking soccer ball. Okay, Karin is totally anti-capitalist, right? She's, like, anti-establishment. Am I right about this? I don't think Karen has any, like, deep thoughts regarding capitalism in general, but I do consider her an an anarchist. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure, like, growing up, she's probably anti-capitalist. Consider this, though. Karen teaming up with Tatsuki. Oh, yes, that would be so good. I I need this show. I need this show. Um, So there's like a tiny bit more exposition here and Jinta shakes his butt some more, which I guess is supposed to be funny uh, before he bullies Uduru again, because that's what they do. Uh, We cut back to the sisters and the cat is apparently named Raku after Yuzu's underpants, which are camel colored. Um, That's what it said. It's an extended, like, word pun thing where, like, Raku is the name of the color and it's, like, specifically uh, the color of camel-colored underpants is the, like, the words that they say. Uh, And and it's the same color as his fur. Uh, Whatever. Like, it's it's just, it's an extended uh, word joke that goes over all of our heads. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, in the dub, because when I was drunk, I did watch the dub. Uh, They call the cat Cammy? 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 One of the two? I think Cammy makes more sense in this context. But, like, I don't know. It was weird. Um, There's, like, a strange pink car parked outside the Kurosaki residence, and it turns out it's Don Kanonji's, as he, like, jumps out and strikes a pose, and then promptly, like, trips while spouting his catchphrase of spirits will always be with you. Uh, And he's like, oh, are you guys my number one pupil's family? And they're like, what? Big Brother's your number one pupil? And it, it's a whole thing. Uh, I, and like, I like that Karen's like, what? what is happening? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> and, but I just love that Yuzu's like, oh my god, it's Don Kanonji. Karen, it's Don Kanonji. <gasps> my brother is his number one disciple! <laughs> it's, it's probably the best part of this episode, frankly. Um... Don Kanonji, like, apparently came here to play with Ichigo, is what, like, he said? Something among uh, those lines? And Karin isn't impressed. Uh, suddenly, there are more hollows, and Yuzu can suddenly see them too? 
I don't think this is explained why Yuzu can suddenly see hollows. Uh... Kanonji attempts to fight them, but is fall, uh, failing miserably when suddenly Jinta shows up and attacks, uh, showing the Hollows who's boss. Yeah, like, Kanonji's just, like, flailing around and not doing much of anything, and then Jinta shows up and, like, one-shots the Hollows. Like, Kanonji tries to fire little energy balls, but they move at, like, you know, one meter per second or something. Uh, so the Hollows, like, like, yeah, if those things hit the Hollow, it'll explode, and the Hollow will will presumably be defeated, but the Hollows, like, look at it and then just, like, calmly walk around it, essentially. Yeah, um, I don't... It was a, it was a scene. It, it was certainly a scene. Kanonji asks if Yuzu is okay as a crowd begins to gather, and he declares the mission complete. The crowd is like, oh, why don't you stay for tea? And then the group, like, runs away, uh... Ururu and Jinta introduce themselves to the sisters and Don Kanonji, and Jinta explains the hollows are appearing because of the cat's spiritual energy. Karin is like, oh, are those what those are called? Hollows? Okay, I'm glad I know this now. Uh, and then Jinta says, we gotta let the cat move on because it's apparently already dead. Uh, Yuzu starts crying while Don Kanonji starts going off and calls everyone his disciples. He tells them to come with him, but is dismayed when the kids don't seem interested, before pouting, and then suddenly the kids are just into it? This was a really strange interaction. Well, uh, so, so he tells the kids, like, I will make you my disciples, and clearly uh, Jinta and Karen are both like, authority, authority, uh, <laughs> but then he says, I am building a super team of heroes, and the position of leader is open. <laughs> This, and that yeah, that okay. gets both of them like okay no we I could be the leader oh I guess only the strongest one of us and then they both kind of like you know start showboating and trying to be like I'm clearly the the most suited to be a leader here yeah, yeah they start like f doing like child fighting why does my summary here switch to like fucking center text as opposed to like left aligned to the left what it's just like halfway through it switches formats okay. Um, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was an okay goof, I guess. Uh, it does use this goof, if you can call it a goof, for, like, the rest of the episode to effect, I guess. Just effect. That's as much as I'll give it. Ududu expresses concern over the cat and takes Yuzu to Urahara shop before sensing more hollows. Yuzu escapes and promises to protect Raku, while Karin and Jinta wait on Kanonji, who challenges the two to show their strength, but he is not their opponent as he intends to start a troop of kids called the Karakura Superheroes. He is in fact looking for the red position, uh, which Karin and Jinta promptly begin to fight over. Uh, Kanonji states there are bad spirits. Yeah, that's why I was confused, okay? Because, like, I swear to God, like, I rewatched the episode while I was writing this summary, and, like, the kids are just suddenly into it before he even mentions the super team. Well, because he, he mentioned something about, like, oh, you can prove that you're the best, and that's when they get competitive. But then they reach his thing, and he's like, I'm making a team, and then they suddenly lose interest completely again. But then he says, it's a Sentai team, and... The Red Ranger hasn't been picked yet, so that gets their hot blood boiling. True. True, true, true. Uh, Kanonji states there are bad spirits around after Yuzu. 
and we cut to her. She's running from several hollows. The cat appears to let out like a barrier of some kind, and he starts glowing. Uh, Kanonji jumps in and attacks with Jinta. Everything is fine after like one attack as Jinta and Karin again fight for the title of Karakura Red. Uh, the hollows here are actually like really pointless. It's actually like kind of laughable, like how easily they take everything down. Um, Ududu shows up and Kanonji is amazed by yet another red candidate. Uh, <laughs> Lynn says, if I was a Power Ranger, I would simply be the most important. Rip to red, but I'm different. <laughs> That's fair. Karin and Jinta butt heads again as Yuzu asks if Kanonji is going to fight. He ignores her and the battle between the two kids continues. The several hollows form one big hollow, and there's a joke about strategy before the hollow attacks, with Yuzu and Raku falling off the roof, leading to Raku transforming into a fire lion, and then saving Yuzu. Kanonji claims it's a robot sent by the gods. Karakura Lion Jet. Yeah, like, it's a it's a common Sentai trope where, like, you know, when they need help, there'll be, like, an animal-shaped vehicle tool that'll that'll show up to help them so that's basically what he's claiming the that raku is uh he's like it this entire episode is just like here's some goofy slapstick that doesn't really go anywhere here's like like little jokes here and there and also here's like occasional references to sentai stuff which is fine but if you like aren't into sentai it ends up being like really weird like why does the cat turn into a lion (laughs) Why yeah. is he calling the lion a robot? Why is he calling the lion a robot? But it's like, no, no, it's just, it's a Sentai thing. Like, I, I watch Sentai, like, occasionally. Uh, This still felt like a stretch to me a little bit. Like, it was definitely a joke where it's like, hey, guys, we're referencing this thing. Guys, you get this? Do you get this one? It's a Sentai thing. Hey, guys, do you get the joke yet? And, like... It's fine. It's it's inoffensive. It like it's definitely like not the worst joke this show has pulled. It just I don't know. I didn't really feel like it worked or like it didn't make me laugh. At least not personally. Raku easily fends off the hollow as the uh as the what what was I trying to say here? As the gand flies down the stair what does that mean? The gang, probably. The gang. The gang you thank you. You've saved me. Raku easily fends off the hollow as the gang flies down the stairs and begins to attack the hollow, actually dealing some damage this time. Kanonji exclaims, mission complete, as the group poses and usually remembers meeting Raku once before. Uh, This is the part I was talking about earlier. Just forewarning. Uh, Yuzu remembers meeting Raku once before, feeding him a small amount of what looks like cookies before apparently getting... Like, he, like... There's this weird jump cut where, like, the the cat, like, starts following her, and then there's a jump cat cut, and we realize that, like, the cat has been run over, um, and Yuzu, like, blames herself, uh, but it's apparently fine because he's a justice robot now. Um, she exchanges one last goodbye with him before he just glows and disappears, Passing over, like, Jinta is like, ah, oh, glad he could pass on without regrets. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I, I didn't feel much. Uh, apparently, this affected Lin, and I'm very happy this was effective for you, it was, Like, the 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 scene itself was, was really well done, uh, person, personally feeling. But the, 
Because the, the logic goes... Because Yuzu uh, says that she was worried that she considered herself to be the cause of death. Uh, yeah. Like, if she hadn't got... If she hadn't fed the cat, he wouldn't have fallen to her. And there wouldn't... Like, he would have uh, still been around. Um, so she felt guilty and she was worried that the cat hated her. And so they're implying that the cat... That Raku's, like, regrets that were keeping him on this mortal plane of existence was that she felt guilty because of his death so when he managed to communicate that oh it's okay he was really happy about being fed and you know everything's fine and also he could protect her from hollows then he passed on uh because he like unburdened that guilt in her heart that makes sense i i think the reason it felt weird to me is like just because i don't know it the pacing fell off uh for me personally, because they went right back to making like goofs, like everything in yeah, exactly. Because the app has been just ninety nine percent gags that didn't like completely land. Uh, so like for me personally, I did not have like any attachment to this cat, and like I can understand why it would make somebody sad. That is not like to detract from any of that. It's just like I don't know the app episode itself did not set me up to have an emotional connection to this cat um Yuzu cries claiming she wasn't able to do anything for him before Junta actually like does a good thing for once in his, in his goddamn shit boy life uh where he's like oh no the cat said thank you don't worry about it I speak cat now <laughs> Um, yeah, he's just like, oh yeah, no, the cat said thank you. And they're like, really? A man senses <laughs> these things, I guess. <laughs> it's like the most hand-wavy shit. It, it's like earlier, like, the cat needs to be fed. It's hungry. Why? Oh, women's intuition, of course. Ah, the cat said thank you. How do you know this? Ah, uh, men know these things. Like, what? <laughs> Counterpoint. How many times have you or someone you know went to a cat and go and went, Ah, the cat clearly wants this. <laughs> I mean, I guess enough. I, I have two cats, but, <laughs> like, I've also known them for longer than five seconds. <laughs> um, Instant connection with animals. <laughs> fair. Um, We, like, get a pose with Uduru as Karakura Pink. Uh, and then Jinta and Uduru both claiming red, and then Kanonchi's like, I'm Karakura Gold! And then both kids get mad, and then the episode just ends there. It's super bizarre. Like, it it ends so suddenly. Like, I, I'm not the only one who felt that, right? <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's kind of like a, oh, I kind of wish we'd ended on the, on the, like, the really sweet and kind, like, little moment we just had, instead of this this guy like this this episode isn't bad like i there's a lot of um there is a couple of episodes in season one that i like this episode i like this episode more than a couple of those episodes that's uh, fair but this episode is like a very like middling okay like the the gags either land or they don't and it's mile a minute gags and the occasional like interesting thing um nothing bad but it's like it's not like a it's not an episode that I would recommend to anyone to like to see what's good about Breach. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> Lynn has here listed pros: Yuzu and Uluru and Karin, Cat, 
no cone, and then cones, Jinta. Which, Which yeah. is fair. Uh, like, I really enjoyed that, like, because Karen in this entire, uh, in this entire show so far has been depicted as, well, Yuzu as well, to an extent, but Karen has been depicted as, like, a very mature and sourly character. Uh, as, like, she's very similar to Ichigo in that sense. And she's very, she's been very, like, aloof about everything that's happening. But it's nice to see that, um, and this also harkens back to things that we saw earlier with her. Uh, she has, like, these petty, chi- uh, these, like, petty childish rivalries that can get, like, really heat her up. And also, yeah. as soon as anything happens to Yuzu, like, gloves are off. Oh, God. Like, full emotion. Like, I need to make this better, like, right now. Uh, which is, which is just, like, a nice thing. Yeah, uh, I really like Karin, and I really like Yuzu as well. Uh, I really would genuinely like to see them interact with, like, Ududu more. Uh, I could care less about Jinta. Um, I, I don't know, I, I don't remember anything about, like, most of the filler episodes we get, but I really do like the idea of, like, taking a break from what's going on in Soul Society to come back to the human world and, like, get some time with these characters we do know and actually, like, exploring them. I wish this episode hadn't been 99% gags and we had gotten a little more of that, personally speaking. But, like, I would gladly, gladly take this episode over any of the, like, con-focused episodes. Like, if you just, like, replaced those episodes with this, I would have been fine. There is a sequence, like, when Ururu and Yuzu are separated from the rest, there is a bit where Ururu, like, apologizes because, oh, I wanted to help you, but the owner's not here, so, like, sorry for wasting your time. And Yuzu's like, no, th- like, thank you very much. This is, like, the fact that he could help Raku and the fact that he'll he'll probably show up later, that's actually really helpful. Thank you for bringing me here. And the fact that she thanks her makes Ururu, like, just stop and stare at her. And I'm like, wait, hold on. We need more, we need to know where this is going. Like, we need more, right? like, interactions of these girls being friends because Ururu has no friends other than Jinta, and Jinta is the worst. Please let Ururu be on screen and interact with people and have, like, a good it's... life. <laughs> It's so bizarre, because, like, this episode does have, like, some genuinely, like, very, 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 very small, but, like, it has some genuinely good character beats. Like, very, very small ones, but they're there. But it's so undercut by the rest of the episode being like, oh, it's a sentai, it's funny, huh? It's really funny, it's a joke, that it just, like, it loses it. Like, it's hard to, like, keep track of actually, like, caring about the characters because it's trying so hard to be funny. And I I personally think this show is, like, way better when it intercuts the humor with those character beats than when it's using the humor as, like, a crutch, basically. Yeah, the the humor isn't here to, like give us an insight on a character or to like show something funny about a character as opposed to being more we're going we're going in this direction with the jokes here so well uh, it is showing something about the character and that is showing that jinta and karen like like sentai stuff uh but it's mostly like we need to fill time with jokes and humor and so the sentai stuff is here to do that and it's not here to um like, develop any characters more or show us more, like, interesting interactions. It's just here to be, like, they're here and they're fighting and that's it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we should probably go ahead and move on to a break and then come back and talk about the next episode. Which One thing first, I do want to, just because I've been mentioning like all the endings so far of each episode, uh, this time it's been on the seventh divisions captain and vice captain uh so we get like the vice captain iba we like we already seen him and like he kind of has like that open robed uh like arms out of the sleeves like yakuza style uh look to him but in this i in in this um ending we do see him like yeah he's got a ton of tattoos on him under the under his uh his shimingami attire and we also get uh um we get a shot of the captain who we never see his face, but we see like a, we see like a transitional sequence of various outfits going from like, kind of like peasant rogue kind of thing to like more and like more and more formal until eventually he hits his captain's outfit. And each one always completely hides his face, but we get a glimpse of yellow eyes. There's a mystery here. And remembering this captain, uh, which I, I won't actually, like, go into detail about because spoilers. Uh, if I re re remember correctly, this might be one of my favorite captains of the uh, of the show. Like, some of the stuff that happens later I remember really liking. But that's just me. Um, anyway, we should go ahead and cut to break. Uh, full disclosure for anyone who is listening. Uh, I was very drunk last night. Uh, and this next episode, uh, we, we talked about this beforehand because I was going to rewatch it. Uh, we thought it might be kind of funny if this was just like kind of a lost episode for me because I, I retained very, very little of it. Um, <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of Sam explaining a thing and me be going, what? <laughs> well, you know, maybe your uh, first rewatch was actually like, as soon as I say it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I, I'm, I might, like, I, I tend to retain a lot more of this show than I realize I retain, which is scary. Um, <laughs> let's cut the break. I'll see y'all in five minutes. Bleach and printing on your brain. <laughs> like a hunter's curse. <laughs> I have the Bloodborne Hunter's Mark, like, tattooed on my ear, but I should just get it. I should just get an extra bit of tattoo there to just say bleach. <laughs> Jump right into episode 34, The Tragedy of Dawn. We start the episode with Renji losing his grip on Ichigo's clothing. On Ichigo's clothing, falling unconscious and Ichigo falling down next to him. Ganju and Hanataro go check on his injuries, the latter noticing that a whole group of Reapers is about to come upon them. They leave Renji to be taken care of the they leave Renji to be taken care of by the approaching group, headed by 3rd Squad Captain Kira, and leave Ganju picking up Ichigo, and the medic picking up the comically oversized sword. He has, like, a little... Like, he picks it up, and then he, like, stumbles one way, <laughs> and I laughed so hard. Like, it's just... It's this little bit of animation, but it's just like... <laughs> before he could, like, properly run with it. Kira is stunned to see that Renji was defeated and decides to tend to his wounds instead of pursuing the pair. Yes. 
You sounded what? like you were about to cut in. Oh, no, it's fine. I, I, I was just going to say it's funny. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't have much to add. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's okay. We can, we can cut all this and make it as if nothing ever happened. Yeah, it, that, that's the podcast magic right there is. I, I can either leave this in for the awkwardness of the goof, of me not knowing jack shit about what just happened, or I can cut it all out. Let's continue with your 1500 word summary. <laughs> Go on. In the sewer, the most sanitary of environments to perform surgery, <laughs> Hanataro explains to Ganju that as a squad for Shinigami, his focus with his powers is less for combat and more for basically what amounts to healing magic. Uh, like, he he says that, like, he kind of implies, or at least the subs on Crunchyroll seem to imply that other Shinigami don't at all, like, do any healing whatsoever. But we know that Rukia has has done some, like, minor healing so far. So Hold, hold on, it, Lin has said something very important, which is Soul Reapers don't poop, which I think is an assumption I, I, I don't know if I agree with. Why do they have sewers? I know I've asked this before, and you were like, we're not touching this, but why do they have sewers? I need to know. Well, they still, they still, like, shower and wash their hands. You need somewhere for the, like, the dirty water to, like, flow out and go eventually get filtered and stuff. Sewer spirit rats? What are you talking about, Lin? <laughs> Is that a thing? I'm so sorry for... <laughs> What's going on? So, basically, just interesting that... We've seen Rukia do some healing, which either implies that they're like they're kind of mixing up the world building, which you know isn't entirely impossible, um, or that Rukia has spent some time with the fourth division. It wouldn't surprise me, um, given how like elite we're told Rukia is, that she would like learn a bit more of everything. Um, I wish we got more info on that, but as it is right now, like. I'm fine just calling that as Kubo has already written like 30, 40 characters, like a kind of a wild amount of like characters like that have just all been introduced. And it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me that he would get mixed up in his own world building at this point. Yeah, I mean, he may have also just decided at this time or that, uh, okay, well, Squad 4 is the healing one, so the, the other ones don't use healing. Or that Hanataro believes that no one else uses heal healing because the 11th squad keeps shitting on him whenever he whenever they see someone who does healing. Um, there's also another explanation of they can all do, like, basic, uh, like, field uh, first aid, which, you know, makes sense. Um, yeah. Anyways, put it, putting all that aside, uh, Ichigo's, like... It's super bad shape because he's taken hits from a vice captain's blade and it's incredible that he's even alive. Like, if he didn't have an incredible will to live, he would have died instantly, Hanataro says. If you, rem if you recall from the fight last week, the Ichigo, like, straight up, like, I mean, Renji's sword has teeth. And Ichigo lit literally, like, took a direct, like, tearing teeth shot, like, to the shoulder, like... It looked bad. I, I'm surprised he has an arm. <laughs> yeah, like, the the fact that Ichigo is still in One Piece is nothing short of a miracle, honestly. Uh, and the episode does touch on this a little later. Uh, Hanataro asks Ganju to give him some time and promises to heal Ichigo in the night. And I'm a huge... I'm such a huge fan of him at this time because 
uh, as one may have guessed from when Orihime was talking about Jidanbo, I love the um, the fiction uh, like scenario of the medic who's working themselves to exhaustion to save someone's mm-hmm. life over a bunch of hours. Uh, like it's a it's a well it it is also like more reflective of like real medics uh like doing their work than just like casting a healing spell and calling it good but it's also like it's just this really good source of tension and in a lot of cases including here the medic in question is like a little jokey or airheaded they buckle down and they're like i'm a professional this is my thing don't worry i got this and it's it's just really good to see. Like I I love seeing this um this trope like being used. Hanatro is probably like no joke my favorite of the new characters introduced. Like I love Ganju. I I like what we've gotten of Ganju, but I just I really really like Hanatro way more than I thought I would. Uh, remembering like what little I do remember from when I was younger watching this show. Yes, protect this bean. <laughs> Like someone, I I don't want him to get fired. <laughs> Please just protect him. Uh, over with the Shinigami, Momo meets up with Kira. The latter lamenting, uh, no, no, the latter lamenting that he should have found Renji earlier to assist him in the fight himself. Uh, he says he'll contact Squad Four for emergency relief, and it's, like Byakuya just shows up behind them, saying there's no need to do so, and to, <laughs> he's just like, "You don't need to call the medics." Toss him in a prison. <laughs> Momo protests, but the man is merciless, saying that Renji brought this on himself. If he entered a fight alone, he should have won. I have no use for a fool who did not understand that. And then he calls him an eyesore, and he fucks off. <laughs> and Momo here is like, this single-handedly... Like, if you weren't already convinced that Byakia was, like, the worst earlier, like, this just, like, really, really cements that. Like, Momo is understandably pissed at him. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, absolutely, 100%. But as soon as she starts speaking her mind, uh, and Byakia, like, stops and looks at her, Kira, like, is like, oh, wait, no, sorry. Sorry. He apologizes, he bows. Momo also bows because she realizes that, you know, she'd been talking back to a noble and uh, and a captain. And Kira's like, yeah, like, don't worry. Like, we should listen to orders. It's fine. Like, we'll we'll get him some healing once he's in the prison. And then another unseen captain shows up. And it's Gid. And he's like, oh, Kira, follow me. I'll call Squad 4 for you. It's fine. We're still tossing him in prison, but I'll call Squad 4. We'll make sure that, like... We'll make sure he survives. It's great. It's fine. It's great. And then he leaves with Kira. And then the captain of Squad 10 shows up. Uh, Like, (laughs) Hitsugaya just shows up, like, back-to-back with uh, Hinamori. And, you know, she's spooked. And she's like, oh my god, why are all you captains... Like, what is this clown car scenario of all of you, like, just (laughs) showing up? What is happening? And I love this, because, like, Momo's been, like, very, like, wallflower and, like, kind of, like, super soft-spoken around, like, in all the interactions that we've seen. And then she's, like, she's talking to a captain, but she is very much treating him like a kid. And, you know, he mentions it. He's like, hey, you're not using honor, like, you're not using the right honorifics for my name. Uh, I'm a captain, you know, like, you should treat me with respect. But he doesn't seem, like, super annoyed. Like, he's a little annoyed, so it's like, okay, this seems to be, like, a, like, an ongoing thing. Yeah, but I, lo- I I love this little interaction with them. 
I'm liking, like, what little I recall of the episode last night. I'm liking Momo, like, way more than I recall liking her, like, in the past. I, uh, I think, like, touching a little bit back on the Byakuya stuff and, like, everything going on here, uh, it really does, like, add to what she was going on about last week, about, you know, coming to, uh, Izuru first with the lieutenant stuff as opposed to going to a captain. Uh, and I think this little interaction with Hitsugaya is very good. Uh, I think it's just enough to be like, hey, these guys can also talk and be normal and, like, not be awful to each other, even though there's some mishaps going on here uh, with honorifics and... I don't know. I like it. It's a good interaction. Yeah, it's just some, like, it's just some really fun stuff. Uh, Momo notices that Hitsugaya doesn't have his uh, vice captain around, and he asks why. And he he's just here, to, he tells her that he's just here to warn her about Squad 3, uh, and not to get too close to them. Specifically the captain, although he's not sure where Kira's loyalties lie. We get a, like, we get a quick flashback just to Aizen and Gin's, like, earlier confrontation, and Hitsugaya is like, look, we should just be careful. Like, be careful especially because your captain's the one who had, like, a, you know, like a weird altercation with Gin, like, you know. Yeah. And then it cuts to, like, this incredible transition where we see the first division symbol on the wall. And then the slats of the wall disappear and it's like, oh, we changed nothing. We just removed the slats. But now it's the captain commander's back. <laughs> It's this really good shot. As he tells the other assembled captains that the situation is critical now, uh, now that they've lost the vice captain to the intruders. He says they can no longer leave this to the lower ranks and will not punish Gin for his earlier transgressions. Further, he's invoking wartime rules, allowing senior officers, including lieutenants, to carry their swords everywhere and authorize their full release inside the court. Uppercase court. Damn. Zaraki could not be happier, declaring Ichigo his prey, and the captain commander declares this all-out war. The scene ends with a quiet shot of Aizen looking over at Gin, suspicious. This is just I another, don't like... this scene. <laughs> it's just another, like, really good, like, ratcheting up of the tension, because now it's like, oh, before, the captains were, like, on the lookout, but apparently... They weren't allowed to carry. They weren't allowed to carry their swords everywhere. And also, even if they did find Ichigo, they couldn't like fight all out. Now though, now though they can. I'm I'm glad that Kenpachi's happy. That that's that's all I have to say is I'm glad Kenpachi's happy. <laughs> like Lin says, the captain commander was like, "Folks, it's time to enter phase two of this arc." It's uh worth noting. Phase two of this arc is, like, is, is it not going to be the next 30 episodes <laughs> or so? Yes. God. Offic officially, the end of this arc is coming up. Uh, so it's it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a little more, folks, it's time to end the arc. <laughs> We're moving to the next phase. God. Back in the sewers, Ichigo wakes up mid-treatment. Hanataro is, whilst, like, he's still trying to close his wounds. He's like, oh my god, how are you alive? Please lay down. I'm still trying to make sure you don't bleed out. 
Ichigo remembers the fighting and immediately struggles to get up, desperate to go help his friends, since he doesn't know where they are or how they're doing. But before he can get too far, Ganju punches him unconscious. Hanukawa ah, yes. complain <laughs> Perfect thing to do to somebody who is near death. Punch them. I, like, I do like, like, like Hanataro has, like, a little bit where he's like, oh, now he has an extra wound I have to heal. <laughs> <laughs> and Ganju's like, well, if he went out like a chump from one fist for me, obviously he's not in a, he's not in any shape to fight anyone. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Like, <laughs> I, that, that tracks. Also, the punch itself might be, like, the best animated bit of this entire episode. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's just, like, a really good sequence. I think the animation these two episodes wasn't, like, the greatest overall, but, like, it was fine. It wasn't, like, offensively bad. Hantaro drags Ichigo's unconscious body back to where he'd been treating him, and wonders briefly about the shoulder wound Ichigo got when he almost lost his fight with uh, Renji. Which is, the essentially, this is the, this is the shot that we're talking about, where, like, it looked like Ichigo should have lost his arm, he'd been so, like, deeply wounded. Yeah. Uh, and Hanataro was also like, that was a fatal wound. What the fuck happened? But when I'm looking at it now, it's like really shallow and that's weird. Uh, apparently it got blocked by a mask that had been inside his clothes. The same mask that Ichigo had on his face when he nearly turned into a hollow. Hanataro I wonders what the <laughs> mask is made of to be able to stop a vice captain's attack. And also is like, uh, that looks like a hollow mask. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Question, why, I mean, why does Ichigo have this in his pocket, supposedly? <laughs> Well, that's the that's the question that Hanataro's asking himself because he looks back at Ichigo. He looks back at the mask and he's like, "That looks way too much like a hollow mask. What the fuck is happening?" Um, God, I, well, I, I, just... I like I, I can I can confirm. We do get answers to this later, like we get explicit oh, mentions sure. of why it's in the its thing. But right now, it's a mystery. Uh, we cut to a quick scene at uh, Rukia's tower where she asks the jailers what's happening outside, and they're like. I don't know, we're, we've just been here all day, but apparently Renji's been taken out. <laughs> and she's like, wait, what? What? <laughs> My childhood friend's, like, dying? What? <laughs> Rukia must be having, like, the most stressful couple of days, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no joke. It's just like, sit here, don't worry about anything other than the fact that you're dying in a couple of weeks. And then it's like, oh, by the way... Uh, someone broke in, and it might be your friend. Oh, by the way, your other childhood friend, he's dying. Like, and she's like, wait, what's happening? It, I, I cannot imagine the stress it would be to go through something like that, of just being locked up and, like, finding out that your friends are trying to come save you, and there is pain happening. There is nothing good coming of this right this second. Yeah, it's like there's... It's like they're cl they're clearly causing chaos because she's like hearing explosions explosions and shit throughout the day, uh, and also like just all the sirens and bells and whatever. We immediately cut to like the normal prisons, not like the special prison that Rook is in. Presumably the next day, where he's in bed and where Renji's in bed and unconscious, arms locked in a wooden block and receiving treatment from some nameless schmuck from uh, Squad Four. 
the medic leaves and Momo wonders what could have possessed Renji to go off and fight alone, wondering if it's got something to do with Rukia and thinking back to some memories from their time in the academy. And we enter a flashback. And this is the part where I was like, wait, hold on. Actually, no, I'll save this for after the flashback. It'll make more sense. Okay. In the flashback, a confident Renji strikes Momo's sword out of her hand, and she complains that he's too serious since they shouldn't get hurt in practice. His reply is that, well, practice is useless if you aren't serious. And then Kira jumps in, offering to be Renji's sparring partner with just, like, this really dumb, like, weirdly sexist line that, thankfully, Momo, like, it just immediately calls him on it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm reading this yeah. in the wiki right now because, like, again, I don't remember this. Um, like, straight up. That's whack. Why is this here? Yeah, no, he's just like, beating a girl wouldn't be satisfying, right? Let's train together, Renji. And I'm like, Kira, what the fuck is... What? Kira, sit down. Kira confirmed sexist moments. Momo sits on a rock while the pair exchange blows, and the two of them start complimenting each other, uh, each other's swords play, until Renji asks for a break, running off into the woods to talk to Rukia, who he'd, he'd spotted uh, walking on a path nearby. Like he, j- he's just like, yeah, that was pretty good sword fighting. You're, you're getting pretty good. That was great. And then like, a shiny object catches his vision, <laughs> and she's like, wait, hold on. Give me five minutes, and then he just runs over to chat with Rukia. Like, a huge smile on his face. And it's like, that. Like that's a pretty good uh, moment. Like, it's, it's it makes sense that Renji would drop basically everything to go chat with Rukia and everything. However, li- like, literally the last episode we got that had plot was talking about how Rukia and Renji were, weren't understood by any of the other, like, Shinigami because none of the other ones came from Rukongai and there was this big chasm between them. <laughs> like, that was a kind of a big part of the emotional, like, connection of the last episode that had plot in it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, that's basically just the thing that I'm like, that's weird. Like, I love... I love getting more content between the vice captains and their history together and seeing them hang out. And I like, I want just way more, but at the same time, it's just like this specific, the way they decided to frame the scene is just like really weird. Cause it kind of like contradicts the emotional connection from the previous Renji episode. Yeah. I don't know. That's very strange. Back in the present, Momo is told about the special wartime orders and then we just get a scene of dozens of Shinigami running around everywhere, yelling, Special wartime orders! Special wartime orders! Special wartime orders! Like, they're just constantly yelling special wartime orders. And I get that they have to, like, make sure that everyone is aware. But, like, <laughs> it is kind of funny to just have, like, dozens and dozens of people just, like, swarming the halls, just yelling all the same thing. You know, with all that money, that must have gone into making those really cool alarm, like, wooden slats or whatever. <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd think maybe they could, I don't know, get an intercom, like a spirit intercom or something in Soul Society. J- just a light that lights up next to a sign that says Special Wartime Orders. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we get a scene of Momo kneeling in, a, in, like, this big formal room, and she's being, like, given the specifics of the Special Wartime Orders. Which was weird, because that implies that the previous guy who showed up at Renji's cell just showed up to be like, 
Please show up to orientation so we can give you the new rules. Can you give me the new rules? No. <laughs> and then she had to go walk over to this guy and have him explain everything. But there's a logical reason for this, which we can get to at the end of the episode. Okay. Momo is not a fan of this. She just wants peace and she like she doesn't want to fight and she's like worried that like danger is happening and Momo why did you become a cop? Like <laughs> yeah, why did why did Momo become a cop? This is the question I'm wondering because she I like, want Bleach to give me a backstory for Momo. She, she's like Momo is a very interesting character here in that she like very clearly is willing to like ignore authority to do what she believes is right. Which I like in her as a character, but, like, it makes me wonder why she became a cop in the first place if she's so willing to just, like, not pay attention to the rules. Well, it's like she's, like, I can see, like, becoming a cop and then not caring about the rules. Like, we've like we've got Ikaku, who just wants to find True. Like, a good fight and will just, like, slack off otherwise. But Momo's thing is that, is so far, is that, she, like, she doesn't want there to be conflict and stuff. Um, and we also know that she wasn't like trying, or she wasn't like trying to escape like a shitty life in Rukungai because that's Renji and Rukia's thing. And we're told that they were the only ones there that were doing that. Um, although I think, I do think there are other Shinigami that come from Rukungai. Um, so it's not like a completely exclusive thing, but you know, it's, it's just weird. Like I, I wish we had like, uh, I, or I hope because this this might be something that the show goes into later uh we like we might get some uh, filler episodes or like stuff that i've forgotten but i just hope that the show kind of goes into like oh well here's like kira and momo's like um motivations to join the academy yeah because right now it does seem like i joined the army and i'm really i joined the army and now i'm very sad that i have to carry a gun which isn't like that it's it's a realistic I, thing, I guess, but I don't know. It's it like it just felt it felt like really anachronistic for me. I think the biggest problem with this arc, which you you could even contend it's not like a huge issue because like there are still like a lot of really good things in the arc, is that it just introduces so many characters that it like the show itself does not have the time to actually like go in and inspect these characters closely. Like what characters it does inspect closely, like we get some really good stuff with, but it we do have like I mean, we have thirteen squads each, well, 12, I guess, uh, we've got 12 captains, 12 lieutenants, and, you know, we're, <laughs> we've got a lot of characters, and it just, we get characters that are very interesting and don't get the, you know, development that I wish they got, but, I don't know, I, I hope we get more <laughs> about Momo, I really do. Lynn does bring up a pretty good point like a like a really really good point which is probably because the honor and prestige there is to being a soul reaper like it doesn't seem like being a soul reaper it seems like being a soul reaper is like the respectable job that most people want, want to be a part of um like it's a common enough aspiration that people don't really think about and if we consider that it's put there is a potential that like joining the squads maybe momo wanted to be a healer or maybe one of the other squads had like 
a specific job that almost isn't ever fighting that she was interested in and she joined to do that job that's a completely like possible thing and that actually makes a lot of sense for a momo's character Um, i agree and then it's just now they're being called to war like they're explicitly being called to war so everybody is being conscripted to the fighting effort and that's what's stressing her out that actually makes a lot of sense and uh kind of like it settles my feelings on this uh, scene actually (laughs) like it it actually completely makes sense yeah no that that tracks completely uh that's very well thought through then a little later nearly at dawn momo visits her captain apologizing for her rudeness and saying she's got things to say aizen says he wouldn't turn her away for rudeness wondering if he's if he has seemed that heartless lately and he lets her in telling her to speak to her heart's content and then we quickly jump over to the first aid sewers and ichigo wakes up again still feeling the sting of ganju's fist like throughout this entire conversation he's rubbing his chin he's like actually i do want to um i do want to note the points that lynn is making because they're pretty good yeah Uh, i i'm i'm here for this first that the academy seems primed to groom their students to be a part of the system of being a soul reaper or to at least like respect it and if we continue the cop analogy there are people who become cops for justice and keeping peace and they don't realize that their job would actually ask them to do. And then, like, a lot of them, when they actually figure that out, they end up leaving. Yeah, society breeds a really idealized image of both the military and police force and so society is the same. And yeah. I, I would say that absolutely 100% tracks. I, I'm 100% here with that as well. Um, I think, like, the show doesn't like always frame it the best in regards to that. I'm very interested in seeing whether the show like actually will continue to form a commentary on that or if it will just like have it serve as part of the backdrop. And I I'm kind of hoping for the former because I, I would like to see if it actually has like anything to actually say about that or if it's just, we're, we're gonna, like, present these soul cops, and, like, we're gonna show some bad things that are happening here, and, like, clearly this isn't great, but we're not gonna talk about it all that much. And I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it does talk about it. Agreed. Uh, so basically, just to, uh, a point that Lynn wants to bring up is that uh, we should probably keep in mind that, like, we're calling them cops because we're mapping them to the military's force of the militarized force of supposed rule keepers and justice bringers of a really fucked up system. But we are definitely looking at this from a like Western system and we're not familiar with the like direct inspirations. Um, So we don't uh, like Kubo probably has very specific sources of military and police or might even be like, look thinking of of, uh, like specific organizations and like feudal stuff that we aren't, um well read on so you know just to like acknowledge that that like maybe that's something that we should all be doing a little bit more research into when we're you know calling them cops uh, yeah i i'm i'm specifically <laughs> thinking uh just to like quickly touch on it so we can like get back to the summary um i'm specifically thinking i might like check out a few of like the side bleach books and like see if there's any info on like 
Kubo's, like, maybe look into some interviews or anything and see if I can find any, like, direct quotes from Kubo about his inspirations for uh, Soul Society and Soul Reapers uh, in particular. That way I can actually maybe do some research and get a better standing on that so we can do our job better. (laughs) We have officially reached the point where the podcast is giving us homework. What have we done? (laughs) What do you mean? Bleach homework. Bleach the point. I write so much about Bleach every week. I edit the show. I have homework, Sam. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, no, that's work at home. It's not homework. It's fine. <laughs> They're the same thing. There's a there's a big difference between work at home and homework. <laughs> I hate but all this right. podcast. This podcast is gonna end my life like <laughs> prematurely. I lose, like, a day off my life every episode we record. Let's just keep going, then. (laughs) Over at the first aid sewers, Ichigo wakes up again, still feeling the sting of Ganju's fist, and complains about him fighting a wounded man. He does acquiesce, though, that, like, yeah, he should cool his thoughts, and Hanataro tells him that he should still lie down, because, you know, he's still hurt, and he's not, like, fully patched up. Ichigo asks about Renji, and Hanataro says that normally he should have been sent to emergency relief. So, you know, he'll be fine, which reassures Ichigo. He gives the kindest look this show has managed to draw so far, I swear. And then he just, like, stares off resolutely into the distance for a full five seconds. Like, it's, it's just like a weird end to the scene where he's like, that's great. And then he gives a really, really kind look. And then he just stares off in the distance. And the show, like, just kind of, like, stays on that for a while. Like, Ichigo's thinking about something. It's cool. Okay. And then we cut back to Aizen and Momo. The fifth squad captain is writing stuff into scrolls. And he's asking Momo, Hey, didn't you come here to talk? You should talk. And he also asks about Renji's condition. Um, saying he's glad when he learns that Renji's life isn't in danger. He also tells her not to worry about the captain's meeting, explaining that, yes, Byakuya did, in fact, try to kick Renji out of the Shinigami Corps. But there were a bunch of Egyptians, and he was shut down. Once his wounds heal, Renji will return to his squad, and Momo's like, oh, Captain Aizen, were you the one who protected him? And he's like, well, it wasn't just me. Renji is a great vice captain, and no one in the court would be happy at his dismissal. Renji is canonically incredibly popular. I love this. I, I I love this so much. I love this. Also, like, damn, Byakuya, like, you have other things on your plate. Stop trying to get Renji fired. That can wait. <laughs> like, does, I mean, did it, that really it makes need to sense, be brought though. up? <laughs> it does make some sense, though, like, why Byakuya would be so angry about this. Because, like, Byakuya, like... What, while we don't know, like, a whole lot about him at this time, other than he's the literal worst, uh, it makes sense that he could probably, like, intuit that, you know, Renji was probably doing this because of his, like, feelings for Rukia, and is like, hmm, well, you are my lieutenant, you need to be punished, because you went off on your own and did this, and you, like, basically directly went against orders and went off on your own to go fight Ichigo. Like, specifically because of your feelings for Rukia. Like, it makes sense to me that, like, Byakuya would be, like, furious and doing everything in his power to, like, 
get Renji to be discharged. It it makes sense. I just think it's still it's still a bit much that he's like not waiting until the current situation is done before trying to fire. Like Renji's already in jail. <laughs> Renji is already Fair. in jail and unco- and beaten half to death. Like he's not going anywhere. Any he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So it just feels like you know what? I want to get him fired before he wakes up. I want him to wake up with the fact that he got fired. <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, although I will mention, uh, so when Byakuya was telling us, uh, was telling Kira and Momo that, uh, you know, to jail him, uh, he did mention that, like, part of the reason that Renji, like, fucked up is that he went to fight alone instead of uh, waiting for a group. And Kira mentioned that if he had got if he had shown up earlier, he would have fought with them. Uh, and this is basically just a circle back to an earlier episode's discussion we had, where we were wondering if there was something about like fighting one on one duels and thing. Clearly, mm-hmm. there isn't, uh, or at least not for like most of the squads. Like it seems to be like a squad eleven thing, because here it's like oh, okay, Renji, if he had followed the book would have got would have attacked Ichigo with a group and Kira was thinking that they would do it as a group that kind of stuff that's so bizarre considering like it's Jidanbo that was the one who brought up the rule in the first place like yeah I don't know it it, it, it's bleach you you know how it'd be with the world building in this show (laughs) Jidanbo's just more honorable than all of the Shinigami put together. That's just all we need. Jidambo is the best Soul Reaper. Momo says she, that she won't disturb her captain and asks if she can just, like, sit sit there and watch him work. He has no objection, and when dawn breaks, we see him placing his coat on her as she sleeps. I love and this. He Like, he just, he very sweetly, like, puts his coat on her so she won't be cold, and he leaves his room alone. The camera pans just enough to let us see an unknown Shinigami's leg, and it cuts to later in the day, Momo just, like, immediately waking up and apologizing for having fallen asleep. She sees the time and runs out, complaining that Aizen didn't wake her and that she's going to be late for a meeting. We get, the, we get like, the laugh track music as she runs along the scene of Ichigo's fight with Renji, and it's, like, it's wonderful. There's just, like, this giant chasm in the ground. There's all these, like, rocks that are piled up from some of their attacks, and she's just, like, running across it like nothing's happening. It's, it's just great. I think what would have made this scene is if she just had, like, a slice of toast hanging out of her mouth. Yeah, like, that's definitely the energy they're going for. Uh, like, she goes upstairs, she goes through a shortcut, she jumps across multiple roofs to make it to make it to her meeting, and then she screams. And all the other vice captains rush out to meet with her and see what the issue is. And they turn the corner to see that Aizen is pinned up against... Like, he's pinned up very high on the wall of a building with a sword sticking through him, eyes lifeless, and Hinamori Momo's scream of his name closes the episode. It's a really, really good ending. Um, it, it Aizen being pinned up to the wall, like, for what we have seen so far in the show, might be single-handedly one of the more grotesque things we've seen in this show so far. 
Like, there is just, like, straight up a huge trail of blood streaking down, like, his chest and behind him all the way down the wall. It is just absolutely horrifying. Yeah, like, it's a it's a mix of, um, like, it's a, it's a mix of, like, just this absolutely horrifying, like, giant trail of blood. And there's, like, these massive splatters around him on the wall. And at the same time like all we see is the sword sticking out of his clothes like we don't see like any guts or or wounds or anything so it's like it's kind of chast in that in the that uh like it's clean in that sense it's just there's so much blood and it zooms in on his eyes and you're like oh my god like this man is this man is clearly dead and momo is just like panicking and, and you're like oh oh because the previous scene did like it just had like this really good feeling of the relationship that she has with her with her captain and it's like oh like she she cares for him a lot um it's it's she, one of the like better examples of this show uh doing a lot of character work with just a little little bit um that like tells you like all you need to know about the, these two characters relationship like just the fact that she wanted to just sit in while he works like that's all you need. That's all you need to tell us what these two characters are in relationship to each other. And then to just, like, immediately take it away, like, pull the rug out and be like, hey, Eisen's dead. <laughs> like, that's horrifying. Yeah, and, and like, at the same time, we're like, hey, this is the captain that's been, like, investigating the weird going-ons that's been happening. And you see him leave in the morning, and you're like, oh... He, he's gonna do something like something maybe he's gonna do something that's like beneficial to Ichigo like some like he's gonna go do something interesting like he's gonna shake things up and then the next time you see him is after this laugh track scene and it's just <laughs> oh look at this corpse and you're just like oh my god <laughs> what just happened and you really feel as horrified as the characters do <laughs> yeah it's God, I don't know. I, I really want an alternate version of this scene where Mama was doing the toast in mouth, I'm late for school thing. And then, like, we get her screaming, but we get, like, a very, very clear shot of the toast falling from her mouth. I think that would be really good. Butterside down. <laughs> but yeah, like Lynn says, like, he leaves in the morning and the scene pans over to a second pair of legs like someone's trailing him uh so presumably they're the one who killed him <clears throat> and uh, i wonder who that could be and then just to finish the episode uh the ending theme this time appropriately focuses on aizen and momo and it just gives glimpses of their everyday life like how momo like wakes up late and she's like or when she's just undoing her hair to go to bed at night or or when she's putting on a shawl and watching the sky with Hitsugaya and Aizen and Hitsugaya's vice captain. Like, it's just like this really sweet moment where all of them are like a little chilly and they're watching the sky at night. And it's like, oh, that's like, it's another scene of just these Shinigami like hanging out and being people. I love it. <laughs> I love all the all the scenes in these like endings. I just love seeing the vice captains all hang out. I love it. And, uh, I, I guess to actually finish out the the episode before I give, like, just general thoughts, it, just, like, the, the manga comparisons. Because this time, like, there's not a lot of changes, but the changes are, like, 
a little... I guess I feel like I say this a lot, where it's like, it's not a lot of changes, but the changes are kind of like some weird nuance thing. I feel like I say this like every week. Uh, yeah, I, I also feel like you say this like every week, but like, it's fine because it's true. It's like, it's- It like continues manga, to be true, yeah. The manga, like, just in general, tends to have like a lot of very little lines that just like completely change the tone of a scene from what it is in the anime, and it's actually kind of bizarre. Well, like, generally, a, a lot of these can probably be simply attributed to the, um, like, just the difference in translator. Like, two translators looked at the same line yeah. and thought that the best, like, it, the best way to get the nuance across was a different way. Uh, Absolutely. Although, in, in this case, there are some, like, uh, there's some, let's get into it. So, the first one is, Byakuya is, like, more harsh <laughs> in the manga. <laughs> he is somehow more harsh, because... Ow. So the the sentence, just the sentence that he says in the anime, if I have this, um, yeah, so in the anime, he says, if he entered a fight alone, he should have won. I have no use for a fool who did not understand that. Right. Damn. So the manga version is, and you know, the sentiment is the same, but it feels like the wording is harsher. He chose to fight alone. Defeat was not an option. We have no use for beaten fools. Jesus. <laughs> Go off, I guess. And then he's like, throw him in prison. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. My guy. Uh, we get the same scene of Renji like, being treated by someone from Squad 4 in uh, jail. But Momo's not there. Like, she's not there in the prison. And we immediately... T like, it goes from that scene to the scene where she's being given the full wartime orders. And there's no flashback. Like, the flashback is an anime original. And this is why it's weird in the anime where she's told... Special wartime orders! And then it goes to a different scene where she's being given the special wartime orders. That is very strange. It's because in the original story, she's not in that room. So they had, to, like, they gave her a reason to exit the room. But they just, like, repeated the reason that she gets immediately after. So it's, like, it's just, like, this weird, like, I don't know, like, a little weird oversight. Like, probably they should have said something like, um, like, you're needed at a vice captain meeting. You know, something, something like that. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of, like, this little thing. Um, also... When she visits Aizen, so in the anime, like, she's in her, she's in her Shinigami outfit, and, like, she's on duty, basically, and she just, like, she visits him at night. In the manga, she's clearly in, like, her nightgown, and her hair is down. Like, she's in, she's in the outfit that she has in the ending sequence when she wakes up, and, like, she's, like, like, her hair's down, and she wakes up, and she's like, oh, no, I'm late. Uh, like, she's in that outfit. Which is like, oh, sh like, she probably couldn't get to sleep, and that's why she went to see Aizen. Mm, that's just, like, a little bit more context that I do actually appreciate. And Aizen's the one who tells her that Renji is healing well. Because she's not the one who went to see him in the pr in the jail. Okay. Alright. But All right. it does give, like, 
I get why the anime did this though, because the so having Momo be in the jail cell with Aburai, wondering about his uh, motivations, giving us that flashback, and being the one to tell Aizen that Renji's healing well, it uh, it does give her a lot more to do because in this scene, like she's just entirely passive, like she just shows up and she's like, "Hey, I hope I'm not bothering you. Like I'm just worried about stuff," and then he bring he brings her into the room, and then she just kind of watches him work for a while. He tells her, don't worry about Renji, it's fine, he's not going to get fired, he's healing well, and then she falls asleep. And then he puts his his coat on her. So it's like, it's a lot of the same thing, but it's like, she's a lot more passive in this in this uh, version. Whereas in the anime, you know, there's like the little weird feeling of her being given the same info twice, but it ends up giving her more interiority, and we're like, oh yeah, like we get more uh, feeling about like how Momo is like doing stuff. Yeah, that it seems like a pretty smart change. Um, like that could have maybe been executed a little better because of the weirdness, like you already mentioned. But uh, I mean, I appreciate that change over overall. I just miss seeing like I I wish we got more of the not in costume fashion stuff. Yeah, same. Uh, like I like I wonder if like do they wear like do they all have a specific uniform and then they have like a like a night slash sleeping uniform thing or do they like get to have like do they have days off do they like you know i i'm just wondering about the the like structure of their society like do they get to do stuff you know or i keep th- thinking to myself like i i've actually been thinking this this whole like recording uh what i've been thinking is I, I wonder how it would be if we just got, like, a 13-episode, like, maybe, like, not necessarily a filler arc, but, like, maybe it could tie into some bigger stuff, but, like, just a 13-episode, like, little mini-arc where we, like, zoom in on all of the, like, squads and, like, their captains and vice-captains and actually, like, learn about them as people more than just, like, learning about them through this. It would totally kill the pace of the show, don't get me wrong. But I would still love to see, like, more info on these characters. There are enough Bleach episodes to have 13 DVDs. What if every time they released a DVD, they had released a single episode about one of the squads that was (sighs) just the, like, here's the slice of life, day-to-day stuff about this squad. Like, a little 20-minute special, and you see them interacting with the other squads and all that stuff. I mean perfect. It would have been perfect, if only. If only. Also, the so the chapter with the eyes and stuff, uh, including his death, is chapter 100 of Bleach. Congratulations, everyone. We have officially made it one-seventh through the series. We've done it. One-seventh, guys. You heard it here, folks. Well, technically, in terms of our... In terms of our actual podcast, we are roughly, like, about a tenth of the way through. <laughs> like, yes. we, there, to be clear, there are 366 episodes of Bleach. Um, we, mm. <laughs> we've got a lot to get through. It, it, yeah, it kills it's, me it's to about one tenth. It, it, it actually is, like, really funny to me that in, like, just a few weeks, we're probably going to be talking about the bounce, and that that simultaneously hurts, and I, I'm very excited about it. Uh, and also, as Lynn said, we're not including the new anime, which... We'll get there! <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no, there's ed- there's several hundred episodes coming into that Unanime for sure. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say it's gonna be like a solid hundo. Like it's probably gonna be a few seasons, and we I I won't be surprised if we do somehow like get caught up before it's finished. And don't worry about the balance. We're only halfway to them. <laughs> True. Mm. We should probably close out the episode. This has been a longer one. Uh, I I have an hour and fifty four minutes recorded. Uh. That's- <laughs> Yeah, we should probably yeah, let's uh let's close out the episode. Let's uh let's do our thing. Close it out. Uh I don't really have anything else to say. I really like the I really like the second episode. Like it was just some really good stuff, some good emotions. It was some good emotional stuff. It was some really good dramatic stuff, and it has me like really wanting to watch the next two episodes. Yeah, I'm actually excited to watch the next two episodes and not be drunk this time because like despite not remembering anything that happened aside from the eyes and stuff, like, straight up, I told Sam, like, I don't remember anything uh, from this episode except for the Aizen stuff right at the end. Uh, and, like, despite that, I still came away like, wow, this is a really good episode I don't remember. <laughs> um, anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Lavender underscore pause. You can find the show at Bleachcast, or you can email us at iwobleachcast at gmail.com. You can find me at SSBSLJ on Twitter.com. You can find me at Lote underscore Lake on Instagram. That is L-O-T-E underscore Lake on Instagram. We are doing it, guys. We are getting to the good parts, I think. Commitment is a strong word. And you know what? I'm, br- I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. Stay cool, chads. I'll vouch, I'll vouch for that. Stay cool, chads. Stay cool, chads.
できない